Let's pray. Lord, Father, um, I come humbly asking you by your Holy Spirit's power and guidance to teach us this morning from your word. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to all that you would have for us. I pray, Lord, that as we listen uh, to your word, that we would just not just hear it, but we would actually be empowered by your spirit to go out and do it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, if you could open them to Acts chapter 1, you may think uh, this morning that, well, didn't you just uh, go through Acts chapter 1 last Sunday? Um, I did, but only sort of. There's a, uh, there's a fullness to the idea of waiting on the Holy Spirit that, um, that I really wanted to develop. And I also wanted us to get, this morning, a big picture, uh, a big picture idea of what it is that we're about to discover in this book of Acts. And a big idea about what it is the direction that the church is on. What the church was on then, the big adventure. And it's a big one. And the adventure that, as we wait on the Holy Spirit to empower us to go out and act as the church in the world, that it is a fantastic journey. Uh, It's an incredible journey. And a Holy Spirit journey. And it's it's all things that are kind of... uh, I was contemplating this this week and I went, you know, as you look through the breadth of the book of Acts, there is love, there's hatred... There's kindness and gentleness, and at the same time, there's harshness. Uh, There's safe travel, and there's shipwreck. There's times and seasons of joy and gladness, times and seasons of sorrow and pain. Throughout the book of Acts, as you see the Holy Spirit working in the apostles, and the Christian life has all of that. And so I contemplated that whole idea and said, you know, that's just life, isn't it? It's just life. It's just kind of how life works. We have times when our relationships and our families go really well. We have times when they don't go so well. We have times where we're obedient and we have times when we're not. We have times when our children follow our direction quite clearly. And then we have times when our children absolutely ignore everything we say. It's just life. The difference is, though, that a Holy Spirit-filled Christian life, all of those ebbs and flows and ups and downs and the things that come at us, the joy and the gladness, the pain and the sorrow, the times of favor and the times where we're just not, things aren't going quite so well for us. The thing is, is that in the midst of all of that, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we walk in hope because our trajectory has changed. But in the life where we're experiencing all of these ups and downs and back and forward sort of things, right? Before we were in Christ, our trajectory was headed toward hell. And then when the person of Jesus Christ meets us, all of a sudden the trajectory changes. The whole direction goes in another way. The heartaches, the pains, the sorrows, the ups, the downs, they still come. But in the end we walk in hope because we're headed forward in another direction. So I want us to see that, that as we see in the book of Acts here, that this journey has a singularity of purpose. 
There's a singular purpose. And it clearly tells us that it is to tell the truth about Jesus. To be a witness. Not only with our words, but with a life. With a life that is lived in community with one another. This life, that it gives us then our purpose. And the Christian life is unlike the other life. The other life seems to have no purpose. We are just, without Christ, and we have these ebbs and flows that come at us, we are just victims to whatever wind takes us, to whatever problem comes. That then becomes the most important thing. And we're waiting for joy. And then when joy comes, we want to revel in that moment. And it doesn't last. And then the next thing comes. And so we're moved in that direction. The thing is, is that if we have a singularity of purpose, guess what? Those things don't sway us. Our purpose is singular. It is to be a witness of Jesus Christ. To tell the truth about who he is. I was talking with Heather last night on our way home. And we were talking about um, some conversations that she's had with people. And um, they were talking to her about something. And she said, you know, I don't know if that's the truth or not. I don't know if they're telling the truth. And she said, I always assume that what people say to me is the truth. I said, you know, sometimes, honey, it's not a matter of whether they're telling the truth or they're telling a lie. It's, it's this, that we see things in our own reality. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are, often. And so if we're communicating one with another about how we are, it doesn't ring true with us, but they're not, the person isn't lying. They're talking about a reality as they see themselves and they see the world through their own lens. I said, so, she says, so then what do you do when you listen to people to try to discover whether or not they're being honest or whether or not they're telling the truth? I said, what you do is you put on the lens of Jesus Christ. You put on the gospel and you listen with a gospel mind and a gospel heart. And you go, this is just, they need the reality of Jesus Christ is what they need. Their view is marred by themselves. They need the reality of Christ in that situation. And that's what you bring to it. That is, the, that is gospel proclamation at its best. That, that is applying the gospel to our lives practically. So, anyway, that was just a side note because it was just a conversation I had and I, it really... Um, uh, dawned on me that that really is what it's about. It's about having gospel conversations, about being um, viewing people in light of the witness of Jesus, like telling the truth about Him in all situations, all of our troubles, all of our struggles. So there's this big picture that I wanted to talk about about a, uh, a cyclical pattern that's in the Book of Acts, and. So before we read the text, I just want to give you this pattern that we're going to see over the course. I did say five years. I looked at it further, and I realized this, that, that Paul says, I have not been neglected to give you the entire counsel of God. He says this in Acts 20. And, and I thought about the breadth of the book of Acts. It will never, ever end. Our study of the book of Acts will never end. Uh, Acts ends at 28 very abruptly because the church age is still going on. Acts 29 is being written. It's being written in our lives. It's being written in this body. So our study of the book of Acts will never actually 
end unless, of course, Jesus takes us home and then we'll see the fulfillment of, of the church as we see him face to face. So that five-year plan, I had to revamp that. It's going to take me a lot longer. So if you guys will bear with me, and especially if I take this long to go through the first chapter, it's really going to take us a long, long time. But um, I wanted to give you the breadth of the book of Acts is this. We see a cyclical pattern that goes on in the book of Acts. And, and I think that, that um, you'll see that there's a cyclical pattern in our lives as Christians, too. So Christian leaders rise and they preach the gospel. Next thing that happens is that listeners are converted and added to the church. Opponents persecute the church and God intervenes to protect the church and to protect its leaders. This pattern goes on over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts. So, is this good news to us that persecution will come? I think of John 16:33 when he says, "Be of good cheer, Right? I have overcome the world. Well, the first part is, in this world, there will be trouble. Right? Often we don't hear that message about the church and its purpose, that there's going to be trouble. But as you see, when trouble comes, the church expands and the church grows. You'll see this in, in the book of Acts over and over again. That they're sort of in their mode, they're having favor with the people in their communities, and then persecution comes. And then guess what happens? The gospel goes and it spreads and people get saved. It's an amazing truth. So the thing that um, I wanted to get at is that often this is really about um, preparedness. It's about preparing. I talked last week a little bit about waiting. And in the waiting, we are preparing. So let's read all of Acts chapter 1 together. And then we will go over a few points that um, I notice in here. Lord, Father, please, as we unfold your word again, I ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit intervention. I ask that you would separate me from the text and that your Holy Spirit would speak to each heart and each mind here. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 1.1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, eight Sabbath day journey away. 
And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So I want to look again at there's this theme in this book. There's a theme in the book of Acts. And the theme is really quite a simple theme, if you think about it, is that the Holy Spirit indwells a people and a church is born. That's the theme. The Holy Spirit invades a heart and life and the church is born. And that the Holy Spirit acts in people to further the church to increase the church, and the church grows. This is sort of a, a simple sort of theme that we're going to see over and over again. And in this, in this theme that we see that the Holy Spirit empowers men, and the church is born, and the church is built, that the church then has this singularity of purpose that I said, that is to be a witness of Jesus Christ and who he is. Well, I'd like to sum up the purpose in three things, the three really simple things that are true. And I, I spoke a little bit of them last week, uh, but I want to speak just a little bit more to them. Number one, we gather here together, and the purpose of the witness is to worship God. We are here to worship God. That is the purpose of the church, number one. Number two, it is to know Jesus. Number three, it is to make him known. It's a simple thing. It's upreach, inreach, and outreach in a very simple sort of term, right? We are reaching up to God with our praises, with our worship of him because he is worthy of it. We work together in inreach in building each other up. Why is that? Why would we build one another up? We build one another up to be worshipers of God. To be good worshipers of God. And guess what? As we are built up, then guess what we do? We go out. And as we go out and we reach those 
that don't know Jesus, and we witness and tell them the truth about Jesus, our aim is to get them here or to a church so that they can, guess what, be a worshiper of God. And it keeps going in these concentric circles. And I think that they all overlap. I think oftentimes that churches would separate what evangelism, discipleship, and worship, and separate them into these things. I think they all work together constantly, that they flow from each other and to each other and out of each other. And again, for the, for the believer, too, is that, that there's a work then that's done in us personally, right? That this inward work of knowing Jesus. And so we say that we saw in the text that we wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon us. The emphasis for that wait is that there's some preparation that needs to be done. There's some work. And I think that, the, that in this um, first chapter, we see some of the preparatory work that goes on. And the reason and the need for it, um, I had to slow this down a bit to see the need. That, that what is it that, that, why would Jesus say he's ascended to heaven? Why would he not just say, go right now, tell everybody what you've just seen? Because it would have freaked me out, right? I'm seeing the Lord Jesus ascending into heaven and I'm watching it. I think I would just be freaked out enough to say that I must go right now and tell everybody I know about what I just saw. You need to know about this Jesus, right? I would go out and do this. But Jesus says, wait, wait. And I think he gives us good cause for why we wait, a, a lot of things. But so he presents himself alive in verse 3. To them after suffering by many proofs. So he's, in essence, you're saying, you need to know me. You need to know who I am. I need to prove, in a way, I'm proving myself to you. I'm proving myself of who I am for you and who I am in the world and what my purpose is. You need to know what that is. And then it goes on at the end uh, of verse 3, and it says that he's speaking about the kingdom of God. So he's talking about a work, talking to worshipers, O Theophilus, in the first book, right? Lover of God, I want to tell you this about myself. I want to tell you about who I am. And I'm going to speak to you about kingdom of God things. I'm going to speak to you about the purpose of Jesus Christ in the world and what he is doing. I want to speak to you about those things. And while staying with them, we'll notice in verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So notice he's saying, wait till you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Why wait? Why wait? Did you not understand? I was speaking to you about the, kingdoms, the kingdom of God. I was speaking to you about the kingdom of God because you didn't fully understand the kingdom of God. And in verse 6, they were clear that they did not understand the fullness of the kingdom of God. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's their question. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And you will be empowered. You will come to understand who I am. You will come to understand my purpose in the world. Wait, he would say. Then, if we, if we think about that and we move forward a little bit, he's, he's Jesus then... Uh, in verse 11, he says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up, 
from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Again, that is to, this is to know Jesus and to know his mission. It is to fully know who he is. Why are you saying they're gazing up into heaven as if you've lost something? Why do you not understand the fullness that Jesus was fully man and fully God, and as he ascended as fully man and fully God, so will he return fully man and fully God in the same way, he says. Do you understand who Jesus is? He is fully man, he is fully God. He's ascended to heaven, but he will in the same way come back. This is the idea, a fuller understanding of just who Christ is. That's sort of preparedness, right? I think it's about preparing. And there's things that we do in preparedness. Uh, he's giving directions about what it is that you do. So come to know Jesus. Come to understand what the mission is. I think about my time in the, in the military. That as we were set to go on missions, I had to know certain things. I had to know the fullness of what the mission was that I was supposed to accomplish. Um, I had to know what the purpose that the military had and not Jeff's purpose. I didn't know, they had a purpose for me and I had to understand what that purpose was. And my purpose was to fulfill my role in the, in the whole scheme of things. I had to know those things. A couple things that we're going to see too is that as they gather together in prayer in verse 14, all these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and the mother of Mary uh, of Jesus and his brothers. The idea there, right, is to know who the players are. Who is it that is on the team? Who are the members on mission? We need to know those things. Those are some things of discovery that you might want to wait on the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to you. Those who are in, those who are full on on mission with you, and those who may not be. Well, one of the things that I wanted to look about at, at this idea is that as we are witnesses, we want to know what the fullness of being a witness is, what the purpose is, what the mission is, how it works. So I'm going to give you just a breadth of, of the book of Acts, things that we'll see as we unfold this, as we see what it is that the witness is, and how does this witness of Jesus Christ work? So number one, empowered by the Holy Spirit, believers in Jesus Christ bear witness to the gospel and God establishes the church. Remember that. Remember who establishes the church. God establishes the church. Number one, the witness is worldwide. Everywhere. The witness goes everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. The, the Christian witness goes everywhere. Secondly, the Christian witness includes everyone includes all people. It goes everywhere, and it includes everyone. Next, it's guided by the providence of God. The witness is guided by the providence of God. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Acceptance of the message depends on a human response. Some might not like that, but I like that. That it depends on a human response, and there's a divine sovereignty behind the response. But it, it works in concert together. But God stirs in those that he would save. And it's an obligation, as it were, a human response to the good news of Jesus Christ. And this witness, it does, it calls for a response. And this response is repentance. 
It calls for repentance first. And repentance brings forgiveness. That as we repent, forgiveness comes. It is. It's a natural, it is a natural, godly, supernatural, actually. It is a supernatural, godly thing that when we repent, forgiveness comes. And the Christian witness continues the ministry that Christ began. As, as he begins in this chapter and he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He talks about the gospel of Luke is just the beginning. I'm just telling you about, in the first book, I'm just telling you about Jesus' earthly ministry. The ministry is yet to really get going. Because it gets going with the church. It gets going with Holy Spirit-empowered people living um, a life for Christ. One of these things that that we look at is that the Old Testament, too, it testifies to Jesus' death and resurrection. That those that are called, right, he says... When he's, when he's finding out the players, right, we see in this text that he's, he's looking for just who is it that is on board. And he talks about that the Holy Spirit um, empowered brothers so that the scripture, it has to be fulfilled. This is what he's telling 120 people. He's telling 120 people the scriptures had to be fulfilled. That Judas would be counted as a member of the ministry for a time. Judas had a part in this ministry. But there's a divine line. Who's for us and who is against us? We need to wait for the Holy Spirit so that we know who those are. I think that I could go out and um, and make a, a, a point that, that this type of person cannot be involved and this person cannot. We could do that all, all day long. But Judas was counted in the ministry. One of the things I love about that part of that text is this. Our sinfulness cannot thwart the purpose of God. Our mistakes cannot stop the witness of Jesus Christ in the world. Another great thing about that text is it's not dependent on any one of us. It's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on me. It's dependent on God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives, telling the truth about Jesus. I love that it's not dependent on you. I love that it's not dependent on me. If it were dependent on me, we're in trouble. We're in deep, deep trouble. And this, this idea, too, is that while we wait, we are preparing these things. We are preparing, number one, to know the fullness of Jesus. Number two, we're preparing to understand the otherness of the mission. That's what we saw about the kingdom talk, right? He says, I'm talking to you about the kingdom of God. Their response is, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He wants to communicate to us, while we wait, we need to learn and understand that there's an otherness to the mission. That it is God's mission. It is not ours. Then we need to understand that there's an orderliness to the mission. There is orderliness to the mission. It's not haphazard. Holy Spirit coming upon us is not this sort of thing that just comes and makes us flighty. and makes us go in one direction and then another. And then there's an orderliness to the mission. Because if you look at back at... Uh, verse 8, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. First. I love that that's first because it's home. The true witness of Jesus Christ begins at home. Where do you have your greatest sphere of influence? In your home. Where would the Jews have had their greatest influence for the gospel? In Jerusalem. In their home. It's an order. 
Get your home in order. Do you have family members that just don't know who the person of Jesus Christ is? I do. That's where my mission begins. That's the order of my mission. It's in my home. It's in my family. And then as we wait, guess what? As we become prepared, as, as God prepares us in those times, then we are empowered to move to the next level, the next <laughs> sphere of influence. You don't think that God would give all of us this great sphere of influence and I could stand up here and say that I am the pastor of Oregon's churches, right? I couldn't stand up here and do that because he has not given me that sphere of influence. That is not my sphere of influence. He's given me a sphere of influence and I need to operate in that sphere in order. And as God, the Holy Spirit moves, he may expand that sphere of influence and I pray and hope that that does happen I pray and hope that that happens for each one of our lives, too, that our sphere expands, that it goes not only from our home, but it goes into our workplace, that we bring Jesus Christ and the gospel to where we work. We bring Jesus Christ and the gospel to where we go to school. And then, guess what? If we're faithful in those things, just maybe, and you wait again for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, we may again expand that sphere of influence and go beyond those borders. So, it is orderliness of the mission. Where do we go and to whom do we go? That is important. Another thing I want us to see too is that their mission happens in community. It doesn't happen in an island. No man is an island to themselves. The mission of Jesus Christ happens in community, in the community of the church. And we could be here today and just be Carleton Community Church in name and in name only. Uh, Doug was teaching uh, Wednesday night through the book of Revelation and there were churches who had made a good name for themselves. They had a good reputation, but they weren't a community. They weren't a community of believers on mission to be a witness to Jesus Christ. They didn't have the overcoming Savior. That's who overcomes. It is Jesus who is the overcoming Savior. And he works in us to overcome the world, as he said in John 16, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. We need to be prepared. Next is that this community, as it is on mission together, the community itself is a witness all in itself. The community, as it gathers together, tells the truth about Jesus and how that we love one another. Jesus says, you'll know that you are my disciples by how you love one another, that the world will know who we are by how we love one another. And so our community witness, we are a witness outside of the walls of this building, but what we do and how we love one another in this room, uh, clearly, clearly to me, is a witness of Jesus Christ all in itself. And Notice this, that, that witness is preordained to be effective. It's preordained by God that the witness is to be effective because one, it is not dependent on us. It is not hindered by our sinfulness, as I said. Our sin may preclude us sometimes from participation in the witness. It may preclude us. We're living a life of sin and, and, and walking as far away from Jesus Christ and what he has for us as possible. You may find that you're hindered in your witness. But the witness is still effective nonetheless. Look at how God used Judas as a witness and gave him a piece and a part in the ministry. It did not thwart the ministry whatsoever. 
Next, it is incumbent on believers to participate in the mission. Why is that? Because of our great overcoming Savior. He is the overcomer. And if he has overcome all kinds of things in our lives, guess what? It becomes incumbent upon us to be on his mission and to tell the truth about him. And then, as we know our, our, our ministry partners, we want to know what the qualifications are. What would be the qualifications of those who we partner with in ministry? And that is that he shows in this text that, that they must be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we, don't, we weren't physically there as Jesus was resurrected. But is the resurrected Jesus a reality in your life? Is Jesus alive in your heart and your mind? If he is, then you are a true witness of Jesus Christ. And you are empowered by that. And it hangs on the resurrection. The Christian witness hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because there are many lowercase g gods out there. And they are all dead. Every one of them. Every single one of the world's religions, their God is dead. But our God is alive. And I am a witness to the power of his resurrection in my life. And my prayer is that for all of us, that we would be a witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to flip real quick. I know I'm a little over, but I think this is important. To look at, because I'm thinking about, I was thinking all week about preparedness, um, about being prepared to be on mission, and there are things that you do when you get prepared, right? There's some things I talked about last week about being devoted to the Word of God and and being devoted to knowing Jesus in that way, uh, being devoted to prayer, being devoted in worship, being devoted to those things. Those seem like doing things to me, And, and as I was contemplating this later this week, I thought, but doing, Jeff, flows from being. That, that there's, about, there's, a, there's a sense of we need to be surrendered. That there's, surrender is a big deal. And it doesn't come easy for any one of us in the room. Surrendering to God does not come easy for you, I'm sure. Because I can tell you right now, it does not come easy for me. I fight against it constantly. God has one way, I have mine. God says you need to surrender this. I say, but I like this. God says you need to surrender that. It does not come easy. It does not come without a fight. So I thought about this idea that as we do something, we're putting on Jesus. We have to put him on. We have the purpose to put him on. And of course, you guys know in Ephesians 6 about putting on the full armor of God. And I read this in a brand new way this week. And it really dawned on me that that whole text is about surrender. It's really about surrender to God. So if you would look with me at Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Where's our strength come from? It's not our own, it's his. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the special forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
I was thinking about this idea about doing and putting on. As we put on this belt of truth, right? He's telling us, surrender to the truth and not how you feel. Not how you feel about it. I feel this way, so I want to do it this way. And he would warn us here and say, in your preparedness, as you're preparing to go on mission for God, understand this, that God is the fighter. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the principalities of the air. And you and I are not equipped to do so. God does that battle. You can't do it. I wouldn't go getting in a fighting match with the devil, right? Don't do that. That is God's to do. And he tells us this, that put on this so that you are surrendered to my truth and not how you feel. Then, put on the breastplate of righteousness and surrender this. Surrender your heart to any understanding that you have any righteousness in your own. You have to put this breastplate on to protect the heart that says that I and my own righteousness have now achieved something. It is Christ's righteousness. So he says, protect your heart from, from your heart going a place where it naturally goes. And it naturally, naturally goes to self-righteousness. That because I've had some success in ministry, now I am righteous and you must listen to me and you must follow my direction. He says, no, protect your heart there by understanding that the righteousness comes from Jesus. 15, he says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. I love this part because he says, surrender your will. Surrender your will and stand firm on God's will, going where he sends you and going with his peace. That oftentimes, you know, we want to walk in our own thing and we want to walk in our own will. And I see that this idea of putting on these shoes of peace is think about the peace that Jesus Christ had in the garden in John 17 when he said, not my will, but yours. He was surrendered to the will of God and he was a man at peace. And I think that's the idea for us there too. Next, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I'm going to stop there because I want us to see this one thing. I thought about the helmet of salvation about this. In our minds, we want to add something to our salvation. We want to think about other things, that it's Jesus Christ and the gospel plus this. It's Jesus Christ and Christ alone and what he's done. So to protect your mind from going the place that it goes. It goes there for me. My mind goes to, I understand that I'm saved, but I must do this. And I must do that. And I start thinking about what I must do to find favor with God. And he would say here, put the helmet of salvation on. Protect your mind from going to that place. And understand that you need to have the mind of Christ. Have Christ's mind. Have Christ's mind working in you. And put on this helmet of salvation. And guess what? Again, pour yourself into the word of God. The word of God is the sword. The word of God is what fights the enemy. Apply that to our lives. Apply that to all those places where our hearts need protected. So it's about surrender because all of this is God's doing. 
I think it's clear that putting on the full armor of God doesn't mean that you have been, uh, been able to accomplish something or to be able to do something. It's about you having surrendered your mind to God, having surrendered your heart to God, having surrendered your feelings to God, and understanding that it's him that holds the truth, it's him that holds righteousness, and it is him that has salvation. None of us have it. Salvation is of God. It's not of you. It's not of me. Righteousness is of God. It's not of you. It's not of me. The truth is of God. It's not of you. It's not of me. Those are the things he's telling us to surrender ourselves to. So I think as we wait for the Holy Spirit, and we will actually move on to chapter 2 next week, (laughs) that as we surrender to the Holy Spirit, the idea there, uh, my friends, is that we surrender to God. In all that we are doing, it's about working our way, not to God, that God has worked his way to us. And that as he has worked our our way to us, what do we do in the meantime where we wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon us? I say quite simply, our preparedness is about surrender, complete and ultimate surrender. I think that's what he was speaking to the disciples I talk to you about the kingdom of God, and you don't understand. Surrender. Surrender your thoughts about what the kingdom of God looks like. I have the answer. Surrender. Surrender what you think about what it means to be on mission with me. Surrender. You need to understand the mission. Surrender to me. I have the mission. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. That is what my heart is for this church in the big picture, is that we would all surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and surrender to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, Father, you are good to us. I thank you, Lord, for um, the patience of all who are here. As we went a little bit longer this morning, but um, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the truths in it. I pray, Lord, that we would not just be hearers, but this week we would go out and be doers of the word as we uh, surrender our lives and our hearts to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.